You know, it really is good to see so many of you here this morning. It's uh, great during the holiday times to be able to travel, to be with family, to be able just to enjoy the time together in ways that we sometimes don't get a chance to otherwise. So if you're visiting with us today, we want you to know that you're welcome. We're just glad you're here. Uh, we also want to let you know if you're planning on doing a little traveling between now and the first of the year to, uh, to get those last-minute uh, offerings in before the year closes out at midnight on December 31, that there actually is a drop box in the uh, door to the pastor's study there. So you don't need to show up at midnight to meet Saul here unless you really want to chat with Saul at midnight on New Year's Eve. But uh, you can just come by and drop it in that drop box and it'll get to the right place. You know, I, I do wonder, though, how many of us have thought much about how we all happened to get here this morning. I mean, what route did you take to get here? Although I suppose maybe a more important question to ask would be, when you're finished with what you came to do here this morning, or maybe during this Advent season, will you find yourselves going home by a different way than the way you came? Now, of course, when it comes to the routes that we all take, given the fact that we all live pretty well spread out from each other, and so begin from a lot of different places, it probably wouldn't make much sense to say that all of the routes we take to get here are, or even should be, exactly the same. It might be true that the closer we get, particularly if we're all coming from about the same general area, that some of the roads that we find ourselves on may be similar and some of the landmarks we may be navigating by might be ones that we would all recognize. And even though some routes are more direct than others, when you allow for all the various possibilities, even if you don't consider getting lost or diverted on your way, when we listen to each other's stories, we discover there are lots of ways and all kinds of ways to get here this morning. You know, when our, our kids were younger and we would uh, travel somewhere in the car and it wasn't already clear to them where we were going, one of the first questions that they would obviously ask when they got in the car is, Mom, Dad, where are we going? And being the warped kind of parents that we are, uh, just for fun, we generally wouldn't tell them. And so we'd be going down the road and they'd be trying to guess. And they'd be trying to figure it out along the way. You know, they know that you take certain paths to get to certain places. They'd be kind of anticipating. And in fact, just to make it more challenging, if we were going someplace that they had been to before, we would uh, often purposely go a different way. We would take the wrong off-ramps from the freeway, or we would take unfamiliar roads, or we'd find a way to kind of come around from the back way, you know, through neighborhoods they didn't recognize. It was kind of fun just to see how close we could get to where we were going before they could figure it out. It kind of added an element of surprise and fun and adventure to our family trips. Although I suppose that uh, they will probably all wind up in therapy for this someday. We, uh, we at least had a good time. And one of the things we experienced in the midst of all of that was the realization that there really are an amazing variety of ways to get somewhere. They're not all the same. And as we know, if we do take the time to listen to each other's stories, some of those ways are uh, certainly more preferred or obvious or direct than others. Some of those ways are definitely worth avoiding altogether for lots of good reasons. Some of the ways are just incredibly amazing. Uh, there are some amazing stories 
represented in this congregation this morning. And some, though seemingly ordinary, are perhaps more significant than you might ever imagine. Lots of different stories, lots of different journeys, all of them represented here this morning in this congregation. Well, you know, if the Advent season is about anything, it's about people on journeys in the midst of intertwining, overlapping stories. Many of whom wind up going to places that they never in a million years would have imagined that they were going to wind up. You know, Luke tells the story of Mary's personal journey into a motherhood that she never anticipated. A journey with her husband-to-be and how they were all caught up in a political Roman Empire story that had something to do with a census that involved a move to Bethlehem at a time that was not exactly the best for someone who was about to give birth. Luke goes on to tell about how this story became intertwined with stories of a handful of shepherds sitting on a hillside watching their flocks and a couple of faithful worshipers in the temple that we know as Anna and Simeon and how those lives were changed and altered in incredible ways because of the way those stories overlapped. But the part of the story we've been focusing on for the past few weeks during this Advent season is the part of the story that Matthew tells. We've been noticing that Matthew traces a surprising route for Jesus through an unexpected cast of characters in the genealogy that he uses to open his gospel. And then Joseph's own story, another unanticipated journey into a more complicated married and family life than he ever asked for or could have planned for. Instead of a distant emperor, and a census, and a few shepherds on a hillside, Matthew introduces us to a very dangerous local ruler by the name of Herod. A few uh, perhaps reluctant scribes and uh, scholars that were hanging around Herod's court for some reason, and a few foreign dignitaries from the east, the Magi. All of these people who wound up seeking Jesus, but for reasons that could not have been more different, And and so what we have here are all of these various people with these incredibly diverse, varied stories coming together in this one place around an amazingly powerful, unique story that God decided to tell in the midst of it all. Where in spite of the anxiety that some were experiencing and some rather destructive agendas that were being pursued by even others, There is a story that provides an invitation to experience grace and peace. Even among people who had seen and experienced the brutal power of Rome and of Herod, and among whom the experiences of dread and fear were very real, there was now this message of hope and joy. It's a pretty amazing thing that was happening in this place. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chris began this Advent series by talking about how all of this uncertainty and unsettledness that we're experiencing in our world now might be creating a bit of anxiety that we carry with us into the Advent season. Pastor Dustin talked about how uh, Joseph's struggle with anxiety was a very real thing as well, and how it not only was invading his outer world, but also his inner world as he tried to figure out what he was going to do about his relationship with Mary 
before the angel came and gave him the reassurance that he needed to go on. And then last week, as Pastor Chris spoke about how in the midst of already politically tense situations going on in Jerusalem, we have these powerful foreign dignitaries showing up from a land that was not on good terms with Rome in search of a newborn king. And there we catch yet another glimpse of how this Advent story of hope is now weaving itself, not in, just into a few personal stories in the lives of Mary and Joseph and a few followers scattered around Jerusalem, but was now powerfully impacting people in positions of wealth and power, sending some on spiritual journeys into the land of their enemies and creating serious political problems and messing up the agendas of other rulers. See, in anxious, fearful worlds where those in power like to arrange the playing pieces in ways that make them feel safe and give them the best advantage, the coming of a new king and the suggestion that the pieces on the game board might move differently now and that maybe there were different rules to play this game by is not something that generally comes as welcome news to people. It certainly hasn't come to welcome news to uh, many in our world in recent years. And so the Magi come in search of Jesus, bringing their honor, bringing their gifts, and that's where we left them last week at the end of verse 11. But the intriguing thing about the story is that Matthew does not leave them there at the end of verse 11. The story goes on. It has one more verse to go. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning and you'd like to see where this actually winds up, I'd like to invite you to turn with me there to Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, where the account of their story comes to a conclusion. If you don't have a Bible nearby, you should be able to find one in the pew rack in front of you if you'd like to look. Here's how Matthew records the final chapter. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I, I will have to admit that when I first learned that my part in the Advent series, for my part, I got this one verse to preach on and that this was it. Well, I, I mean, everybody else had at least a story to talk about, right? And I get a verse that says, and when they were done, they went home. I thought, this, this is great. We're, we're going to have a real short sermon here today. But before you get your hopes up about getting out too early, let me tell you that what I began to discover when I looked a little more closely at this verse, that there's a lot more going on here than you might pick up in a first quick reading through. Probably more than I can really do justice to this morning. And so, just to make sure we do get out at a reasonable time, I'll make a couple of short observations. A couple of things I think are worth noticing. Maybe share a goal of my own story. Contrary to my first somewhat hasty impressions, Matthew does not simply say, when they were done, they went home. Listen one more time to the verse. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They went back by another route a different way than the way they came. Something had changed. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that what had changed had a whole lot more to do with those magi than it did with anything that was happening with Herod. Let me explain to you what I mean. 
by inviting you first to think for just a moment about how it was that the Magi got there in the first place, and then maybe what was different about the way they went back. Now, this, of course, was not the first time that God had somehow spoken to people living in the East in the place where the Magi were from, a very different setting than Palestine, a place that was largely focused on the worship of other gods. So it's not the first time that God had sent them on a journey so they could be a part of something new that God was doing. You might remember that many hundreds of years before, Abraham and his family, not at all certain of where they were going, set out on such a journey. Following the leading of a God who, as they discovered along the way, was very different from the gods that they had grown up around and were used to. You see, this was a God who did not need to be persuaded to be with them, but a God who sought them out. This was not a God that needed to be appeased by all that could be offered to him, but this was a God that over time they got to know as a God of grace and of mercy and of love, a God who promised to be with them, a God who himself supplied the lamb that Abraham and Isaac discovered one very difficult afternoon on Mount Moriah. This was a God who established a covenant of promise with them, not because they were such good people, but because that was the kind of God God was. And now, interestingly enough, as God is about to announce a new king and a new kingdom and do something incredible again in that same area, we find him once more extending his reach to those that many people would have seen as kind of on the outside of the circle, those people who shouldn't be involved in this, in a place that was still largely focused on the worship of other gods. And God invites them to come and to bring what they had to share and experience once again what it means to be embraced by the same God who had embraced Abraham so many years before. Very interesting foreign policy statement for this new kingdom. Well, you know, exactly how it was that God spoke to that part of them that was responsive to the work of the Spirit, whether it was through some aspect of their own worship patterns that had been a part of their lives since they were probably small, or whether God found some way to do it apart from all of that, or maybe some combination of both. Now, we really don't know. But however it happened, what is clear to us is that neither the religious system they had grown up in nor the state into which Judaism had fallen that they encountered when they arrived in Jerusalem, both of which had distorted what God was like and what God was all about. None of those things prevented God from speaking or from them responding and from them finding their way eventually to Jesus. And there is really good news in that. God has a way of finding us no matter where we are and the circumstances that we are in. I really like the way that Paul Young talks about this in uh, a book called The Shack that's just been out for about a year now, I think, in which he crafts this fictional story, in one place, a conversation between Jesus and one of the main characters in his story by the name of Mac. And I want to share with you just an excerpt from the conversation out of this book. It begins with Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying, you know, those who love me have come from every system that exists. Some are Buddhists or Mormons, Baptists or Muslims, 
Democrats, Republicans, and many who don't vote or who not are part of any Sunday morning or religious institution. I have followers who were once murderers and many who were self-righteous. Some were bankers and some bookies. There were Americans and Iraqis, Jews and Palestinians. You see, I want to join them together and in their transformation into sons and daughters of my papa, into my brothers and my sisters, all of them together into my beloved. Well, does that mean, asked Mac, that all roads will lead to you? Not at all, smiled Jesus. Most roads don't lead anywhere. What it does mean is that I will travel any road to find you. And God does exactly that, doesn't he? In fact, the more I have thought about this and the Magi and their story, the more I have come to realize that in that respect, at least, in a number of ways, their story is not all that different than my own. And there may be parts of your story that kind of connect with the Magi story as well, as you think about it. You know, although where I grew up was right in the middle of one of the Adventist versions of Jerusalem in La Sierra, for all practical purposes, I was about as far away from the Adventist community there as the Magi were in Jerusalem, from Jerusalem in their own country. See, I didn't grow up as an Adventist, and, uh, or a member of any religious group for that matter. Although I did believe in God and certainly didn't have any hostile feelings towards God, uh, I just wasn't a part of any group. My mom had taught us to say our prayers before going to bread at night when we were, uh, when we were very little. And except for a brief brush with Vacation Scott Bible School, once at an uh, Adventist church nearby, and once at a Methodist church, and a couple of encounters with a children's Sabbath school program somewhere along the way for reasons I don't clearly remember. I don't know how I got there, but I remember being there. That was really about the extent of my formal religious upbringing. Of course, in reality, La Sierra was a place that was crawling with Adventists. There's no question about that. But, in, but the truth was, it was sort of like living in a parallel universe. There were different school systems, different social networks and patterns of living, and there really wasn't much traffic between those two worlds. But despite the fact that the Adventist and non-Adventist communities were pretty well invisible to each other and just frankly ignored each other, that's not to say that God was not very much at work in the world where I grew up. Although my friends and I uh, never really talked much about church, you know, we didn't really go. Some might have gone on special occasions. We did talk about God from time to time. We talked about the Bible, and we were actually fairly open and responsive to what we understood to be true about God. We were not hostile. And I think we were pretty open and responsive to what I believe was the way that God's spirit was at work in our lives even in ways that might not have been recognized by some of the more formal communities at the time. In a lot of ways, we were not unlike the title to a book that was published last year by Dan Kimball that someone just gave to me recently. The title of the book is, They Like Jesus, But Not the Church, Insights from Emerging Generations. And I think that's kind of where we were. Church was fine, but Jesus was intriguing. That was someone you might want to talk about. I think about this sometimes when I get these strange emails that uh, get forwarded to me, bemoaning how God has somehow been banned from the public schools. Do you get these? 
because that somehow they don't allow official prayers to be offered in public school. It's the most absurd line of reasoning I think I've ever found to think that that could somehow ban God from a place like a public school system. My experience has been that God was and still is very alive and well and active in those places, working in the lives of people in significant ways. Some of you teach there and have incredible impact in the lives of kids. You know, the idea that somehow because of that, God is not going to be able to work there is, is a rather strange idea. But in any case, you know, living out there in the east in the Babylonian or Persian provinces of La Sierra, though I was, somehow God seemed to manage to position things in such a way that I could get a pretty good look at the star. And somehow I realized that God was inviting me towards something he was doing. And I began to move towards that. It took a lot of years. And in fact, as I later discovered from some of the Adventist friends I made later, I may actually have paid more attention to it than I might have if I'd grown up in the middle of Jerusalem. But to make a very long story short, through a whole series of events I won't take time to get into this morning, I eventually found my way and showed up in the youth group at Jerusalem. <laughs> fully expecting, as the Magi did, that everyone there would be looking for what I was. But, to my surprise, I found that actually not everybody was. But there were those who were, a few of which sort of took me under their wing, gave me lodging, gave me some helpful information about where to look, and who also became pretty good traveling companions for me. It didn't take me too long to also discover, however, that not only had I come out of a world that was often driven by anxiety and an uneasiness about where you stood with other people and with the gods. But there were anxious people here as well, whose picture of God had also been covered by, colored by that same sort of uneasiness. Never quite sure if this was a God where you could know where you stood or not, and who operated with the same sort of uneasiness that I had met in the other part of the world I'd grown up in. Well, again, to make a long story short, I read a lot of books, got to know some great people, people who had time for me. There's a youth leader who is also a chemistry professor at the college. Dr. Bottomer was his name. Another youth leader and music teacher who opened up her home to kids like me, where I learned a lot about grace, where I made some really good friends. There were some good things that happened there. There were also plenty of opportunities along the way for my own natural religious anxieties and uneasinesses to get stirred up and reinforced again, sometimes by listening to what well-meaning people would say, and sometimes by reading materials that seemed to have a way of dwelling on end-time anxieties in a way that would just make your stomach tight and clutch and wonder what kind of a God you really were trying to deal with here. But because I believe the star was persistent, I finally found my way to where Jesus was through some good friends and through some good books, Desire of Ages. And then finally, one Sabbath afternoon, which I still vividly remember, sitting in my bedroom, reading a copy of Steps to Christ, where the lights first came on for me for the first time in a very personal kind of way and I got a good look at what the Magi came to see. 
and the anxiety that came from an ill-formed picture of God gave way to the assurance of a God whose love and assurance was extended to everyone, even me, which really was good news of great joy. And my life has never been quite the same since. And you know, it, it's interesting to think about the route that was traveled from where it began to what appeared to be the outskirts of things. First to a place that was sort of Jerusalem-like, where I found good people and a lot of good help. But also some rather anxiety-oriented ways of understanding God that would not have been a good place to have stopped. And then on, with the help of some that I had met, continuing to pursue the star the rest of the way to Bethlehem, where Jesus was, and finding there what the Magi found, a different kind of king, clothed with a different kind of power, inviting me to be a part of a different kind of kingdom, where the players really are put on the board in different ways, and move for different reasons, and respond to different motivations. Not one grounded in anxious responses to world events or the anxiety of never knowing for sure where you stand with the gods, but one that was grounded in grace, in which the gifts that we bring are simply expressions of gratitude for the incredible gift that's already been given to us, which is God's gift of himself. It's what we've been celebrating for the last several weeks. And as a result, for me, everything changed. And I went home from that place by a different route than I had ever traveled before. Which is not to say that I haven't lost my way a number of times since then. Old patterns sometimes have a way of following us home and scratching at the door and inviting themselves in, or trying to lure us back to the way of living that is all about anxiety, that is all about concern over world events, it's all about whether we are good enough to make it or not, or where it becomes all about power, you know, and watching out either for our enemies to make sure that we keep them at bay, or making sure that our own interests are protected, regardless of what that means for the interests of others. Because before you know it, we can begin to doubt or to lose track of the God that the star leads us to, which is perhaps why verse 12 also comes with a warning. I don't know if you noticed that the first time through. Look at verse 12 one more time. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. See, once you find your way to the real king who presides over a different kind of kingdom, the good news is, is you don't have to go back to the way of Herod anymore. God says, don't go back there. Don't get tangled up in that agenda. You are not about what Herod is about anymore. The Magi were to have no part in this, but instead were to find a new way home in the service of a different kind of king. And you know, the good news still is that whatever toxic agendas we may have been caught up in or whatever the anxiety-driven messages are that we may have internalized, 
even if they have been presented as expressions of religious devotion as Herod sought to package his interest in finding Jesus. Once you have seen the real king, there is no reason to take them up again. God invites us, God warns us, don't go back there, don't re-engage that stuff. That is not the path back home. Their route did not lie through Herod's courts again, and neither does ours. I, I really don't know how much anxiety that was part of the religious culture that the Magi's came out of was present with them as they journeyed on to find Jesus. But I do know that it's been present in mine at times, and I suspect that some of you have carried a bit of your own. But whatever route may, we may have taken that brought us here today, and whatever we may have brought with us, when we follow the star all the way to where it leads, what we find there really is good news of great joy for all people, even us. And with it, we find a whole new way to travel, a whole new route home. Maybe not a bad thing to anticipate as we think about celebrating a new year and where we might go from here.
Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your ability to place the star in places where we can see it clearly, for your ability to speak to us, for our ability to respond, and most of all, for the new way that you show us that we can travel in. Thank you for being our traveling companion, our guide, our God. We are grateful this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.